Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. And again, if you're visiting with us, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Chris Davis. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're, we're so glad to have you if you're visiting with us. Um, we just want to let you know that we're taking a pause for this Holy Week uh, from our regular routine of walking through the, the Book of Romans, uh, unit of thought by unit of thought is what we've been doing. And we're just pausing for a couple weeks. Last week, we did uh, the vision of our church, and so if you missed that, Feel free to go online and check it out. Richard and I, for the first time, tag-teamed a sermon. Uh, and uh, it was great. If, if you missed out, go ahead and listen online. And this week, we're going to look at uh, something different as well. So Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the words of the Lord. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter into it, you will find a colt tied, in which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back there immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Those are the very words of God. Amen. I love the love story of Kanaye and Nick Boyachich. If you've never heard of their story, Nick Vujicic was born with a rare disease and he had no arms and no legs when he was born. And so here is a man who you can imagine the life, as growing up as a little kid, the life that he had to live. No arms and no legs, but still trying to fit in as one of, as just like a regular kid. Uh, Nick Vujicic never thought he would find love until the day he met his his wife. And they began dating and, and they fell in love with one another. And here is a beautiful woman who married a man with no arms and no legs. She pursued him in love. He pursued her in love. She recognized that there were going to be some hard days. She recognized that she would probably have to give up some things, but what she mostly desired was she desired a man of character. And she desired a man that feared the Lord. And she found that in Nick. So they began their love story. And now they have a little baby boy together. And they're growing their family. And you and I can think about that. And, and most of us would probably think that this woman is crazy. How in the world could she love this man with no arms and no legs? How in the world could she create a family with a person with no arms and no legs? 
but she was determined to love him. They fell in love. He wooed her. And the next thing you know, they are starting a family. You can see a determining love through this example. But when we look at our text this morning, we will see an incredible love story. We get to see a love that far surpasses anything that we know to be love in this world. We get to see a sacrificial, all-in kind of love this morning. I want us to investigate three main ideas this morning. The first is that we see Jesus' loving determination in that Jesus keeps His Word. He is faithful and He is trustworthy. Secondly, we see Jesus' loving determination in that Jesus faithfully pursues us. Jesus faithfully pursues us. And lastly, we see Jesus' loving determination in that Jesus alone is the means to salvation. Jesus alone is the means to salvation. I want us to speak from the subject, Jesus' loving determination. But before we go to work, let's pray. Father, thank You um, that You, in love, sent Your only Son. And Father, I pray that those realities this morning would become big. Would you exalt Jesus in this place, God? Father, I pray that by your Spirit you you would work on our hearts. That you would chisel away the hardness of our hearts. The darkness of our hearts. The sin in our hearts. God, the, the sin that we know is present and that that we don't even know is present. Would you chisel away with your word this morning? Father, I I just pray that you would move me aside, that you would speak to us this morning, that you would breathe a breath of life in this place. Sit on us, Holy Spirit. Have your way this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the Gospels are specifically Jesus' biography of his life, death, burial, and a resurrection. If you want to know about Jesus, if you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to know about his life, if you want to know about Jesus' character, go to the Gospels. That's what, one of the things that we're going to see here uh, this morning. One of the things you need to know about Mark is Mark moves at an incredibly fast pace. In fact, over and over again, we see this word immediately. Some 42 times, you see the word immediately, immediately, immediately. And in fact, we see that same word immediately in our text. Mark is a fast track kind of gospel. It moves very fast. It's almost like a film, a suspense film, playing out before our eyes as you read through the gospel of Mark. It's filled with action. Our passage is the start of what's called Holy Week in Christian history. Uh, This time of year, we think it's healthy to just stop and pause to remember what God has done through the life of Jesus. There's Palm Sunday, which we will remember and celebrate today. But there's also Maundy Thursday, in which we'll celebrate this week as well, when we remember Jesus' last supper uh, and His love, how He sends us out to love one another. In fact, Maundy Thursday, uh, you can think about uh, a death row inmate. And a death row inmate gets his last meal, and they ask him what he wants to eat. That's the idea behind Monday, Thursday, but then there's Good Friday when we remember a somber commemoration of Jesus' gruesome death, Jesus' murder, an innocent man murdered and killed. 
And Jesus says, you know what? They're not taking my life, but I give it up willingly. Good Friday, we remember Jesus' death. But oh, but Jesus did not stay dead. They put him in a borrowed tomb and for three days Jesus sat there and laid there. And then he got up early Sunday morning. As the old preacher would say, early Sunday morning. Jesus got up. And that's why we celebrate Sunday, Easter Sunday. Jesus did not stay dead. He got up with all power, conquering sin, death, shame, guilt for those who believe in Him. Jesus did not stay dead, but He rose again. All of which is driven by Jesus' great, deep, passionate love for us and His obedience to the Father. And we remember those things. But before we go to work on our text, notice... Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. Look at it with me. It says this, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, He began to tell them what was to happen to Him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him. They will spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Do you see that? You need to know that this is not the first time that Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm about to die. And He wants it to be crystal clear to them, His mission, His purpose, and what's about to happen. Jesus, in a sense, is telling them blatantly that I'm about to die. But I won't stay dead. I will rise again. He's making it extremely clear. Jesus, in a prophetic way, tells them, My life is coming to an end. And he's trying to help his disciples and he's trying to help us as well understand his story. Jesus is trying to set them up for where, where he's about to go. One of the primary ideas we've got to see is that God keeps his word through Jesus. God keeps his word through Jesus. We see that Jesus and his disciples are, they're getting close to Jerusalem. And Jesus sent two of his disciples in verse 2. Look at this with me. He said this, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter into it, you will find a colt tied on, which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it. Then they did exactly what Jesus had said. Then look at verse 7 with me. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, And he sat on it. This is a huge deal because it's God's word coming true. What am I talking about? Zechariah helps us understand this. Zechariah 9.9 says it this way. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Listen to this. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The fowl of a donkey. Do you see that? 
Hundreds of years prior, there was a prophetic word through the voice of Zechariah. God used Zechariah to tell what was about to happen. And what we see in Mark chapter 11 is God fulfilling His word through Jesus. What you and I need to know is that God is faithful. That He is trustworthy. That He keeps His word even when nobody else will. He's showing us the character of God through the Gospel of Mark. That He is faithful, that He is loyal, and that He always keeps His Word. There's a great book called uh, My Grandfather's Son. It's an autobiography of the life of Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court Justice. Don't take this as a political statement because it's not, but it's a fantastic book. Um, Clarence Thomas talks about his life as a boy and at nine years old he and his brother found themselves living with his grandfather and his grandmother. Mother was very poor and unable to take care of he and his brother. Father was never around. He tells the story that he met his father at nine years old for the first time. Sat down with his father and his father said to him, hey sons, um, I am your father. And they had this perplexed look on their faces. But then his father went on to to tell them how he was going to get them these nice watches. And in the 1950s, that was a big deal for these young boys. Father tells them, I'm going to get you these great watches. And as they went back to grandmother and grandfather's home, days went by, weeks went by. And two years went by and they never saw those watches. And he told the story that after a couple years, his grandfather and his grandmother, they saw the disappointment and they just went on and bought those watches for him. And he said these words in his book, My father only made one promise to me. And that only promise he made to me, he broke. And what I want to show you this morning in our text is that God is, unlike Clarence Thomas' father, He is one who is faithful enough to keep His Word. I don't care if your father has never held one thing true to you. God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is loyal. And you can trust Him. What does this mean for us this morning? It means for us if people have turned their backs on us, if, if people have said things and not held to their word, maybe we were in a dating relationship and this person said something about us and they didn't keep their word, our husbands and our wives disappoint us, but God is faithful and He never disappoints. And we can rest in one who loves us enough who can say something hundreds of years ago and he remembers and he is faithful enough to keep his word and he sent Jesus. That was a message to us. That I love you enough to keep my word to you. That when I make a promise, I won't turn back on it. And so when we see things in Scripture that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, we can trust in that. When we see things in Scripture that says, I will provide for your every need, you can trust in the living God who will provide for you.
God is faithful. And He is one who keeps His word. Secondly, we need to see that Jesus faithfully pursues us. What are you talking about, Chris? One of the reasons I love this passage is because it puts Jesus' love on display. When Jesus sets His face towards Jerusalem, He is essentially setting His face towards death. When Jesus sets His face towards Jerusalem, you can think of Him committing suicide because that's exactly what He's doing. When Jesus sets His face towards Jerusalem, He is making the ultimate step towards you and I. He's making the ultimate step towards those that He has marked and stamped with His image. He was not some unknowing victim that was taken by surprise. No, Jesus, He looked at the road ahead and He was obedient to His Father even in death. And Jesus sets His face towards Jerusalem and He does it to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. Isn't that beautiful? That a person knowing his fate would still set his face towards Jerusalem and go in the direction of his demise. And he did it for love. He knew that there was no other way to satisfy the wrath of God but to use his only life. See, Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. And as he mounted that donkey to move toward Jerusalem... He was, in a sense, pursuing the sin that you and I bared. The interesting thing is that this is Jesus' M.O. It is not something new for Him. Look at Ezekiel 34, 11-12 with me as I point this out. It says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, would search for my sheep and will keep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them for all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Do you see that? Look at Luke 19 with me. Would you just read this with me? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Read that again with me. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Do you see that? They both point to Jesus moving toward the unrighteous. They both point to Jesus moving towards the undeserving. They both point to Jesus taking the ultimate step toward us. And that's what we see here in this passage. Jesus having a heart for His sheep. Those that are lost, Jesus moving toward to engage those that are broken. Those that are undeserving, Jesus moving towards them. One of the big pictures of Palm Sunday this morning, as Jesus said to Jerusalem, He was saying yes to initiating towards the sheep without a shepherd. And He was saying yes to initiating towards the lost and the broken. Um... I remember when I was in the sixth grade, I had this nice little bike that I had saved up my money for. Uh, had the, the nice little pegs, uh, colored pegs on the end where people can ride on, stand on and ride. And I remember uh, as a sixth grader, 
Growing up in St. Louis, I was on Hamilton Boulevard, uh, where I grew up. And that day is when I saw her. I saw her for the first time. I'm riding on my bike up and down the street, and across the street, there she is walking. And so my heart begins to pound, and I pedal behind her, and I kind of follow her a little bit, and I get up the courage to say something, and out come these words, true story, hey, brown sugar. <laughs> true story. Um, you know, I don't know where that came from. I don't know where I heard that from. Probably one of my old uncles. Out of my mouth comes, hey, brown sugar. She turns around, are, are you talking to me? And I said, yes, kind of crumbling. And we began to talk and I asked her for the digits. And fellas, I want to tell you that I got them that day as a sixth grader. First time I ever asked a girl for her number, my heart is beating out of my chest. And obviously, um, our relationship consisted of uh, her walking around the corner because she lived just a corner away and us just walking and talking a little bit. And eventually I gave her my pager number um, and she would page me sometimes, even though she lived around the corner. Um, and we just had this very juvenile relationship. Um, she was my brown sugar. The first woman that I intentionally pursued. Uh, it, that relationship lasted for all of two weeks, probably. But I pursued her. Intentionally. And I think one of the things we see here in this text is Jesus intentionally pursues and that's the story of Palm Sunday, is that when Jesus set His face towards Jerusalem, He intentionally pursued you and I. And even though it meant His own demise, He went toward us in love. He pursued us. He cared about us enough. Even when we didn't want to be pursued, Jesus turned His face toward Jerusalem. Even when we didn't deserve to be pursued, Jesus turned His face toward Jerusalem. And you better know that He knew what that meant. That's exactly why He told His disciples, You know what's about to happen to me? I'm about to die. And they're going to spit on me. And they're going to mock me. But in love, Jesus pursued the unrighteous and the broken. Have you received that initiating, pursuing love? Have you, have you welcomed that initiating, pursuing love in your heart? Have you accepted God's pursuit? Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, if anyone answers the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him. Have you answered that call of Jesus, that pursuing love of Jesus? Lastly, I want to see that Jesus alone, I want us to see that Jesus alone is the means to salvation. Jesus alone is the means to salvation. Jesus told His disciples, He, sent, uh, he said this in verse 2, the disciples that He sent said, look at this with me. He said, uh, 
you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Underline this phrase, on which no one has ever sat. You will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Then in verse 3, Jesus says, If anyone questions you, tell them, The Lord has, sent, has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Do you see that? The Lord has need of it. Then in verse 7, They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it, underline that phrase, threw their cloaks on it. Then in verse 8, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he coming, the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. See, all of this is evidence that makes the case for the deity of Christ. And the fact that Jesus is, he's, is jumping on a donkey that has never been rolled. The fact that the cloaks that they are laying down and they're putting down cloaks in front of Jesus' trail. All of these things accumulate to tell us the story that Jesus is God. They're essentially giving Jesus the royal treatment. And I happen to believe that I don't think they understood what they were saying, even when they said, Hosanna in the highest. I don't think they really understood who they were talking to. They were expecting a royal king. They were expecting a conquering warrior. And yet Jesus came as a meek and a lowly servant. They were not expecting the kind of king that Jesus was. But yet they said to him, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna means save us. Save now. And what they really desired was someone who would come like a warrior. Someone who would come and would wreck shop and would save them and protect them. But the saving that Jesus came to do, they did not completely understand. How do I know this? Because if you fast forward a few chapters, the same people who were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, are the same people who will mock Him and be yelling in the next breath, crucify Him. They didn't understand that Jesus was God. That Jesus was the Messiah. That He was the one who would come to save their lives. That He was the one who would come to save them from their sin. See, it was Jesus' loving determination that pulled Him into Jerusalem where He knew He would meet His demise. It was Jesus' loving determination that pulled Him to the cross of Calvary. And it was His loving determination that kept Him there in obedience to His Father. It was Jesus' loving determination. See, they didn't understand the words of Jesus in John. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm not sure that they understand what Jesus would say in John. That I am the resurrection. That Jesus would say, I am the good shepherd. I am the door and the gate. Jesus is essentially saying in John and also in our passage here, that I am the Messiah. That I'm the God that you've been looking for. 
Look no further. The only way you can experience real salvation, the only way that you can really be rescued is by me. I'm here to tell you, if you've ever wondered, what does it take for me to live a fulfilled life? What does it take for me not to feel so empty any longer? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to my Father except through me. And He loved us enough. He had a, determin- he had a determining love to pursue us in that way. It's like a patient who is in need of a heart transplant. That patient is in dire need of a heart transplant and they can't just take any heart. They they have to have a heart that fits the right way and it's the right size for them and from the right person. You can't just take any heart if you need a heart transplant. And that's the story here in Mark's Gospel. Is You can't just take any Savior you got to take Jesus. And, and, and I know that's hard for some of us to embrace because that's a, a very exclusive claim. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's coming in. They're laying down their cloaks. They're saying, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus calls Himself Lord. And He is declaring for the world to hear that He is God. That He is the Messiah. And the only person who can deliver and rescue them is Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is showing that He wasn't just any king, but He was the only one that can satisfy all of their issues. He's showing that He is the one that they really need. And I would argue, I would beg for you to to hear me this morning. If you need a heart transplant, if you need a proverbial heart transplant, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy your aching needs. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. I will give you rest. And what he declares through his gospel here is that if you are in need... If, if you need to be saved, and you do because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, receive Jesus. Receive Him. Repent and believe. That's what He says. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth in, gospel, in the Gospel of Mark is, Repent and believe in the Gospel. Turn away from from your sin and turn away from serving yourself. Turn away from all of the things that you find fulfillment in and find your hope in me. Because He is the real Hosanna. He's the real Hosanna in the highest. Jesus says, if you want to find fulfillment, if you want to be satisfied, put your faith in Him. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. Palm Sunday is all about one who intentionally gave up his life. One who set his face towards Jerusalem and in a sense setting his face towards death. And he did that because he loved us. A love that we did not deserve. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you loved us enough to set your face toward Jerusalem. 
Thank You, Father, that You loved us enough to, to not quit, to not give up, to not give in, God, but You said yes to Your own demise. Thank You, Father, that Your love was determined. Lord, thank You that You are God who keeps His Word, that You are faithful. Thank You, Father, that You pursued us in love. And God, we do thank You that You are the only means to salvation. And I pray, Father, that You would not let us rest until our hope, our faith, our trust is in You this Palm Sunday. Thank You, God, for Your life, Your death, Your burial, and Your resurrection. And I pray that we would put our hope in it. Now, God, I pray that You would bless these tithes and offerings that You're about to receive. Pray that You would multiply them, that Your fame may grow in Memphis, Tennessee. That through them, God, people would come to know You in South Bluff homes, in, Lord, in foot homes, in West Memphis, in Marion, in Midtown, all over this region, God, that people would come to know You. Lord, I pray that You would use us as we remember Your life, Your death, Your burial, and Your resurrection this week, God. I pray that You would use us in the lives of our co-workers, that we would live out and share openly this good news, God. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.